Romans chapter 15. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This is a blessing and a description of a church that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ, that the God of hope will fill them, fill you with all joy and peace because you're believing and based on that, He can cause you to abound in hope with the power of the Holy Ghost. Fill you with joy and peace. The connection with 1417 should not be overlooked when you're at 1513 because in 1417 the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we have that peace and joy in the Holy Ghost mentioned again here in this 13th verse. We looked at 1417 as a summary of the Christian liberty issue and 1513 is a benediction and a blessing at the end of Paul dealing with that problem of strife that was in the church at Rome. And verse 14 will have a different set of blessings and things that he desired of that church as well. And then he will move on to wrapping up this epistle in the way that I described earlier. The God of hope is able to fill church members with joy and peace. God is a happy being. God is infinitely happy all the time. And he demonstrates to the world by bearing witness of himself in causing even the wicked to feel his goodness and his pleasure at times. You have been taught Acts fourteen seventeen that God sends fruitful seasons and rain from heaven so that men's hearts are filled with food and gladness. And that is a witness of God's goodness and his joy in the things that he created. Everything he saw in the Garden of Eden, he said was good. He sends his rain and his sunshine on the wicked and upon the just. And David would even appeal to the fact that I have more joy in knowing the Lord than the wicked do when they have a great harvest in Psalm 4 and verse 7. And so there is joy that the Lord sends as a demonstration of His joy, but we want to be thankful about the fact that we have a joyful and happy God. Look at Psalm 37 with me. A couple of verses just to confirm this to you. Psalm 37 and verse 13. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. There's the Lord's laughter at the wicked. Don't think that the wicked disrupt the happiness of God. God laughs at the wicked. And you know Proverbs 16.4, The Lord hath made all things for himself. And you know Revelation 4.11, That all those things were made for God's pleasure. God is a happy being and is filled with pleasure in all that he is, all that he does, and all that he sees around him. Whenever you find anything in Scripture to the contrary, like in the description of God sending the flood when it said that it repented God, that He had made man, it grieved Him to His heart, it's using human terminology for you to understand the great change that He was about to make from having created man and blessed Him to multiply and now reducing Him to one man and His family. And it just uses that language because elsewhere in the Bible it says God is not a man that He should ever repent. And so we we read the Word of God, we give God the benefit of the doubt and the blessing of the higher road whenever we come across an apparent contradiction like that. A church should be filled with all joy and peace in believing. If our attention is on the Lord Jesus Christ correctly, 
then when we come in here, or when we're not in here, we're going to be people individually and corporately considered that are very happy, filled with all joy and peace and abounding in hope. But let's take one at a time very quickly. Do you trust in the God of hope? Look at uh, Habakkuk. Can you find the little book of Habakkuk in the minor prophets of the Old Testament? Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. Some of you know a song that encompasses these words. This is wonderful. Very quickly, let me read. I cannot wait in this assembly. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Habakkuk 3.17, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That is six descriptive phrases of total economic ruin. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, which we just sang a few minutes ago. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet, a female deer's, very light, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. I'm going to enjoy life and have the best because the Lord is my strength. If we constantly look at the Lord, the God of hope, He's going to fill us with all joy and peace. If we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, see what He went through, see the rewards that He was given. Think about the details of His life that should fascinate our souls. He's going to fill you with joy. Look at Psalm 149. Psalm 149 about finding joy in the Lord through believing and seeing what He has done for us. Beginning at the first verse of Psalm 149, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and His praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Are you happy day and night? Are you thankful day and night? Are you rejoicing in the Lord day and night? God, the God of hope, is able to do this for you. If you lack this joy, it's not a deficiency with the Lord. It's not a deficiency in Scripture describing this blessing of knowing the Lord. You have compromised your faith. You're not as fascinated with the Lord as you once were. The Lord answers the longings of the human soul. If you think another person on earth can answer the longing of the human soul, you don't know anything about the human soul. It's God first. Then, if God is first in a marriage, the other person answers everything you want because God will change your desires and give you contentment so that you can have godliness plus contentment, which is the great gain of a successful life. But it starts with delighting in the Lord. When you delight in the Lord, He'll help you delight in the other things you should be delighting in. But you start with the Lord. If you start with a spouse, if you start with a job, if you start with a finished semester, if you start with a car, you're going to end up frustrated. Been there, done that. Let's not any of us repeat that foolish lesson. Let's keep the Lord first, and it will come. If you lack the joy, it's not a deficiency with God, but a problem with your faith. You're not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ as much as you could be, should be, or once were. 
That's why I mentioned some of you have written me and I have on file some of the joy of your heart about the Lord. Those whose God is the Lord are a happy people. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy. When we look through the Psalms, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. That's all that it takes. Make the Lord your God. Of course there's blessings with the Lord. But you really don't need the blessings because the greatest blessing is how God answers you in your own soul and heart as you delight in Him. As you delight in Him, you free the Holy Ghost to give you joy. And He is a powerful spirit. That that doesn't do justice to the Holy Ghost. He is the the infinite, omnipotent Spirit of God. You have a spirit. It is your spirit that feels, desires, has pain, has longings. Feels love, desires love. But God's spirit is able to communicate with your spirit if you'll get away from the spirit of this world, if you'll get away from the spirits of other lowlifes that live around you and work around you and go to school around you, to focus on God Himself, His Spirit inside you can connect with your spirit and feed your soul. Romans 5.5 5 says the Holy Ghost is able to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. That's why He was given to us. It is why we cry, Abba, Father. He sheds abroad. He blasts His light into our souls and convinces us, God loves you. You're His forever. But that doesn't happen if we've lost our love of Christ and it doesn't happen if we're quenching or grieving that spirit by loving the things of this world. It doesn't happen if we're holding on to any bitterness, unforgiveness, lack of contentment. All those are commandments in the Bible. They're not things we wait for. They are things that we do. It's a choice. You can make a choice right now to forgive everyone. You can make a choice right now to bury all bitterness. You can make a choice right now. I am content and I love my life because God gave me this life. And I'm thankful that I know Him. Most of all, I'm thankful that He knows me. I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a king I have to serve. I am going to be the best in His army by keeping His commandments the most faithful of any. Not for the praise, not for our praise, but for His praise. And if you have that kind of a desire, God will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This should be understood first and foremost as corporate joy in a church and then as your individual joy. Is it possible to be filled with peace? Can a Christian be at peace? Past description or past measure? Oh yes. The peace that passes. Understanding, because it doesn't make sense. Can't figure out how, but the Lord just gives me peace. I'm speaking for you. I'm speaking for the Apostle Paul. That's why it's called peace that passes understanding. God is a peaceful being, filled with total contentment that man cannot add to or detract from. Look at Job 35. I love this about my God. He is at peace. Do you know how he's at peace? He takes some of his enemies and makes them his children that love him. Do you know what he does with the rest of the enemies? Grinds them to powder and destroys them. So he's at peace. One way or another. Both ways is the the truth of the gospel. Look at Job 35. These verses are hard for some people to understand, but I hope you love them with me. Elihu is speaking, so we know that he's on track, right? Right. Not quite like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar who, though they knew the truth, misapplied it against poor Job. No, they they had their day. 
they had to come and get down on their hands and knees and beg Job to pray for them before God would forgive them. That's, do you like the way God deals with people? Do you like how God dealt with Joseph's brethren? Did they have to get down and beg Joseph for their next meal? And Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar had to get down and beg Job to pray for them because God said, I won't hear you confess your sins. But if you'll get Job to pray for you, I'll hear him. It's in the last chapter of Job. But anyway, here's Elihu. Verse 5. Look unto the heavens and see. Don't you want to just stop right there? When you read the Bible, how do you read it? I'm trying to help you. You know, if that reading program over here is too hard for you to have a chapter a day, I'll come up with another one. Do you know what it'll be? A verse a day. I will pick 365 verses that'll light you up if you come and approach them the right way. How can you read past those words? I have to read past them, and that's the only reason I'm going to read past them. When it says, look under the heavens and see, don't you want to just look up and think about God? You can't see Him. He's invisible. The word see is to think about Him. Think upon the Most High. Look under the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the Son of Man. But you're not going to touch God. Because he's at peace. God is in total peace and he's able to give you perfect peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind, whose mind, what do you think about? Right. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Where's that found in the Bible? I need a, I need a testament. Oh, I need a book. Isaiah, I need a chapter. Oh, yes. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Is everybody here willing to agree? with? You won't nod. I know that I've learned that over the many years of preaching. You won't nod because you don't want to give yourself away to everyone sitting around you, so I'll do it for you. Do you know from the lessons of life that you have lost your peace when you've lost your mind by it's no longer staying on him like it should? Oh yeah, Have you ever learned that? Have you learned that yet? If you will get your mind back on him and make him your all in all, He can pour peace into you that overflows and buries you. If you don't have it, it's because you're not believing. You're not delighting in Him. You're not fascinated by Him like you once were. Circumstances really have nothing to do with it. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, when I'm full, I choose to be hungry. When I'm hungry, I choose to be full. It's all just a state of mind, and I have learned that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians chapter 4, about verses 10 through 13. It's, a, it's just a choice to be content and to be at peace with the Lord. And we can be that way as a church. And we want to be that way as a church. We don't want divisions over matters of Christian liberty at all. We want a church to be full of joy. We want a church to be full of peace. Because the lesson of this verse is primarily corporate. We are a slave to context. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So every one of us needs to be a believer and a strong believer so that from every part and every joint that supplies this church, we are adding joy and peace. If you drag in here, if you're in the flesh, if you're carnally minded, if your most important things in life 
are your little life instead of His life, you're going to pull the church down. You're going to make yourself vulnerable to little matters of liberty bothering you. We must keep the Lord first in believing. And God can give us that peace. Those whose God is Jehovah are at peace. You're in Job. Look at Psalm 37 and verse 11. Psalm 37, 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Oh, and there's more, but that's enough for now. In believing. Back to Romans 15 and verse 13. Psalm 37, 11 was to show you the abundance of peace that God gives the meek in the earth. Romans 15 and verse 13. We want to make sure that we do not miss two little words there in believing. I have mentioned them many times, but we want to look at them. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See, the filling is God working. The abounding in hope is what's happening to you, but it's happening by the power of the Holy Ghost. There's only one thing that you are actually doing in this verse, and that's believing, and God will take care of the rest. Now, you know that joy is something you're to pursue and seek and practice because 14.17 told you that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to be bearing that fruit in our life. Peace is the same way, and hope is by putting our trust in the Lord. But this verse is all centered around God doing it by the power of the Holy Ghost to a church because the, the Holy Ghost is the candlestick of a church. You know, when the, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ pulls that candlestick away, then a church is just an organization. It's not an organism. When the Holy Spirit is there, we're an organism. We're a living organism. We're not a dead carcass. We have the Holy Spirit operating among all of us to give us joy and peace in believing and to fill this church with hope because we're looking at what God's going to do in us, through us, for us here and what He's going to do in us, through us, for us, and to us in glory. I don't want to minimize either. Both are true because He's the God of hope and He has more than enough joy, peace, and hope to cover you in this life and in the next one. And he, He understands all the things that you give up for the gospel. Don't think He doesn't understand. You know, the problem is that most of us haven't had to give up very much for the gospel. Or at least when we look at it and we compare it to the the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, it isn't worth much what we gave up. But remember, he says, No man hath given up house, wife, brothers, sisters, lands, for my sake, that I don't give him a hundredfold more now in this life and eternal life in the world to come. He knows all that. So as a church... Can you understand this as a blessing and a benediction by the Apostle Paul that we never ever want to let matters of Christian liberty come up to cause strife or division, hard feelings, bitterness, grudges, judging, judgmentalism, despising others ever? Because guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ has saved, we assume it, everyone in here, though that is probably not true. We assume it, and we want to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we do that, we'll have the peace and joy and hope that this verse describes right. about a New Testament church. And this is Paul blessing them, and this is Paul encouraging them. Brethren, lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you appreciate the five verses that came before this one. One verse for the Jews, four for the Gentiles, all centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. That if both groups would look to the one Savior and realize that he is the Savior of the Jews, and he is the Savior of the Gentiles, 
Well, that just gets rid of every division between them. Let's have common union in this church. And brethren, don't let anyone disrupt our union in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone disturb our peace. The next verse says that you have sufficient knowledge and that you are able to admonish one another. When anyone steps out of line on matters of Christian liberty, you are able to shut them down because it is such a simple concept and such a simple subject. And Paul had taught them enough. You have that ability. Use it. Let's keep this church in the blessing and the benediction of the 13th verse. In believing. In one respect, I'd like to tell you that this is the key word in the verse. Because the verse hinges upon it. Does the Bible describe at times that the Lord's hand is shortened? Does the Bible at times describe that His ears are stopped up? What causes that? Our sins. And our loss of the Lord Jesus Christ being preeminent. He's the firstborn. He's the first begotten of the dead. He's the prince. He's the king. He's the Lord. We want to exalt Him. Delight in Him. And then the rest comes. Blessings of joy, peace, and hope are from God and given by God's power, but they're given to believers. And so we as a church want to make the Lord Jesus Christ the center, the theme, the object, the goal of every time we assemble, every time we talk. What is this church about? It's about our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we say things, and we say some things that are harsh, and that some would not understand. But I hope that we're like the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ in the person of David, who said, as Adam explained it to us today, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. We get offended when anyone is talking about preserving Levitical priests. We're offended. We hate that concept. We hate that idea because our love of Christ is so great. We hate the thought of the Ark of the Covenant of the Old Testament. We have an Ark of the Covenant in the New Testament. And we're thankful for the blood that was dropped once. That Ark of the Old Testament, a priest had to go in there with the blood of others and offer it for his own sins and for the sins of the nation. He could only go in there once a year. The Lord Jesus Christ offered Himself without spot to God once, has put away all our sins, and we can go boldly into His presence a thousand times a day. And so we get upset. And we should. Because we hate every false way. See, this panty-wasted, effeminate generation of so-called Christians don't believe that hate has a place in a Christian's vocabulary. But that's because they don't read, trust, or believe the Bible. And we do all three. And we want to hate every false way. Because we want to love the Lord Jesus Christ so much. Oh, brethren, don't let your faith waver. I'm just like you. As heart answereth to heart, as face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. I struggle with the flesh every day. But it's a choice. To come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a choice to come back to Him and look at Him on His throne. It's a choice to come back and set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. It's it's a choice to stop thinking about the ways that the world wants us to measure ourselves. It's a choice to measure ourselves the way the Bible does. And do you know how the Bible measures us? Are we walking with God or not? Are we delighting in Him or not? Are we singing His praises? Are we lauding Him like Gentiles should? And when we get back and we put down other things and focus on Him, 
The joy and the peace flood our souls. You all know it. If you don't know it, then you haven't tried it yet. Because it works. It's the Word of God. Look at James 1. This verse about faith. James 1, verse 7. Verse 6, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. That's a wonderful promise. Wonderful promise. That's a God of hope, I'll tell you. If you lack wisdom, just ask of God. He's going to give it to you liberally, and he's not going to criticize you for it. And it'll be given you. But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Don't you waver in your faith. Now, we're all going to waver a little, but let's not waver much, and let's help each other not waver. Verse 7 says, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, wisdom is under consideration here, but in Romans 15, 13, it's joy, peace, and hope. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord if you're wavering in your faith. God can't make me joyful. My life's too miserable. Are you kidding me, you little infant? Crying in your crib. Your diaper's not dry enough. God can't make me happy. My life is so miserable. Where is that word? Where are those words coming from? Where are those thoughts coming from? I'll help you this way. Amen. Right. Those are fiery darts of the devil. Why are you believing them? Why do you like the lies of the devil? Blow them off. Say, well, the Bible tells me this, and I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe everything the Lord Jesus Christ has promised. I'm going to believe everything Paul wrote. I'm going to believe Romans 15, 13, that he's able to fill me with all joy and peace and cause me to abound in hope in believing, and I'm not going to waver. You know, we waver at times because we let the world creep in. We get busy. We get active. We need to stop, reassess, be still, be still and know that I am God. Now, they're still up here. So make use of them, adults, heads of households. Use them. If you have somebody that you love and you think they would put it on the refrigerator, then take an extra one and send it to them. Be still and know that I am God. Can't cheat the Lord. He knows everything about what you love. He knows everything about what you dislike. He knows where you're bitter. He knows where you're not forgiving. He knows where you forgot about him. He knows to what degree you no longer are fascinated by him. He knows all that. And so he pulls back, filling you with all joy and peace and believing. And we don't want that to happen to us as a church. So as a church, we are going to remind ourselves often to be still and know that he is God. We're going to sing on Tuesday night. We're going to sing the next Tuesday night. We're going to delight in the Lord. We're going to talk about the Lord. I appreciated the large circle of men that grew at break time today. And I wanted to hear from each one of you what you wanted to put on the coat of arms of Jesus of Nazareth. Because that delights me. Because anything that you can mention about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's in the superlative. What other king has ever done it? This church is going to remember that Jesus Christ saved us Gentiles and we're going to keep him first. So that we have the joy, the peace, and the hope of this verse. And all of you men especially, and you women, are going to be able to admonish one another. And you're going to shut people down that open their mouths to talk about their little pet peeves or their little liberties. We couldn't care less about those things because our care for Christ puts it all in the shade. The object of faith has been shown very clearly in verses 8 through 12 of what we should be leaving 
be believing about and believing in there in Romans 15, 13. It's a rule that I have seen that those who are the least in love with the Lord Jesus Christ get distracted the most with the little things that bother men. It's terrible. And if we could all just keep our love and sight in Christ, Christian liberty hardly needs to be preached on. It just disappears because no one cares. And you don't even care about your liberties. And you use them with a, I don't really care that much about this. I could give it up. I could take it or leave it. It has no power over me. There's only one thing that has power over me that I love the Lord Jesus Christ more this afternoon than I did this morning. I love Him more tomorrow than I did today. And I love Him more next year than I love Him this year. And I hope that we're going to love Him more in 2014 than in 2013. Church unity, church common union, church communion is greater and greater by its focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we fulfill this verse. As carnality creeps into a church, as carnality creeps into a soul, as carnality creeps into a family, one family at a time, one soul at a time, division and strife will follow behind in this church. That is why one of the questions I ask everyone joining us, Joshua and Natalie Unger most recently, do you commit before the Lord in this assembly that you will keep yourselves spiritually minded and living a spiritual life in order not to be an anchor on this church, but a blessing and a part and a joint that contributes to it. That ye may abound in hope. God is the God of hope. He has every ingredient for hope. And He's able and willing to give you hope and cause you to abound in hope. Remember, if you see it, it's not hope. It's things we don't have yet, but they're coming. God in Jesus Christ is the object of hope because He's the thing we desire and expect the most. Remember, hope is expectation based on desire. Well, what do we desire the most? Or what should we desire the most? God Himself. May we expect it. Oh, yes. Draw nigh to God and... Here. Now. And what about then? We'll inherit God. Romans chapter 8. He's going to be our all in all in heaven. But we can have that now. But it's causing us to abound in hope. He's the object of our hope. He's the source of our hope by regenerating us and giving us a view by faith of unseen glory. We see things the world doesn't see. We see the great mystery of God in us. They do not see it. They do not appreciate the six things in 1 Timothy 3.16. And I hope you with me, we love those six things. And we see them clearly. A brother at break time was rejoicing in the one about preached unto the Gentiles. Those simple words. Do you understand the stupendous event that took place for Gentiles to stop sacrificing their children and worshiping their dog to worship the Lord Jehovah? He's the source by regenerating us and giving us a view by faith of such things. He's the basis of hope by promising us. Does the Bible say great and exceeding great and precious promises? Oh, has He promised things. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you know what? Your stomach turns. You get emotional. Tears come down on your cheeks. If you watch some ridiculous movie where some guy says to some girl, I will come looking for you. I will find you. 
I'm thinking of last of the Mohicans. If you need help, anyone, I will find you. Listen, on an IQ test, that particular group of people, he wouldn't have scored above room temperature. But anyway, the tears come down, the bowels are moved because some idiot said to another idiot, a male idiot to a female idiot, or vice versa, I will find you. Well, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. That is in the pavilion. Does the pavilion move you at all? That should move you. He's the basis by all of his promises. See, to me, Psalm 27, 5 is a promise. David's talking about himself in the time of trouble. He'll take me into his pavilion. I know David's just an example for me. And I get to go into the pavilion of God with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, God's the certainty of hope by never changing himself. Aren't you glad for that? Now, the God of hope. We can hope in God because he never changes. And he's got the power to change anything in your life. He can speak the word and change anything in your life. In our church life, he can bless us more abundantly than we've ever been blessed. If we will put the Lord Jesus Christ first, believe on him, and wait upon God, God is going to fill us with all joy and peace and cause us to abound in hope. Jesus Christ has overcome this world, and the things of this world should grow strangely dim the more you love the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the things of this world, we will never separate over them in here. We will not argue about them. We'll not talk about them. We'll want to be talking about the things of Christ. The God of the Bible is the God of reversal of fortune, and we should always believe that. He's reversed our fortune already as Gentiles to make us the children of God. Did he reverse the fortune of Joseph? Moses? You know, Moses thought about his life on the backside of the desert. Did things get better? How about Hannah? Did things get better? Six children. Five plus one, or one plus five. David, Manasseh, Daniel, Esther, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did things get better from the cross of Calvary? Did he believe? Did God fill him with joy, peace, and hope? Because he saw something. Jesus had hope. Why did he go to the cross? For the Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. Anything in your life that you think is difficult and that you're going to the cross for, you should do it cheerfully like he did, and God will give you joy in the doing. But he won't give you joy first, and he shouldn't give you joy first. Jesus was crying out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, but when he went to the cross, and then he was raised from the dead, he was full of joy. He went joyfully in his soul, but his flesh was grieved at going to the cross. You're grieved about things in your life, but you can do them. Cause you to abound in hope. This church can abound in hope. Hope is outward and upward and forward thinking. Because it sees that God is going to lift us up and take us forward and show us more as a church. But we do that by getting rid of of all Christian liberty differences, despising one another in any way, shape, or form, even thinking it. Because we focus our thoughts on the Lord Jesus Christ in our believing, and he's able to fill us with all joy and peace, and that leads to abounding 
in hope because it's all wrapped up around the Lord Jesus Christ and our excitement and our contentment in Him. That is the hope that the Christian life is a wonderful life and it can only get better as a church. I want you to notice something about the non-restrictive phrase in this particular verse of Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. Notice that what is enclosed by commas is a non-restrictive phrase. That phrase can be removed from the sentence for you to understand what it's really saying here. Let me remove it for a moment, and we'll put it right back in. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Ghost. As you believe, the Holy Ghost, by His power, is able to fill you with all joy and peace, as a church, as an individual, as a family. But what happens? There's something else that happens that doesn't restrict this sentence in the way that I just read it to you. But it's an additional blessing. As joy and peace is filled in you, and you have all joy and peace, you will also abound in hope. Because the happier we get about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more peaceful and content we are with our spiritual blessings instead of worrying about our carnal, we abound in hope. Wow, the Christian life is good. God is so good. And if it's this good now, what's it going to be like next year? What's it going to be like in glory? And so we abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't ever doubt the power of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, and you know that this earth is no longer without form and void. Great things took place, my brethren. And that Holy Spirit is able to communicate with your spirit. That Spirit is able and does and is promised and remains in a believer. So the Spirit of God is inside of you. Yes, His feelings can be hurt. We can grieve Him. We can quench Him. And now the only grieving and quenching that takes place and the only consequence of that is your loss by your sin. But He's inside you. The power of the Holy Ghost. He can change men from the inside out. Saul of Benjamin was not fit to be a king. Saul, the son of Kish, was not fit to be a king. But God told Samuel and God told Saul about an event that was going to happen where God would give him a new heart and make him a new man. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. And it says the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he changed. That man that was too timid to even be at his own coronation? What happened when he needed to send a lesson to the Ammonites? He took a yoke of oxen and he didn't have to think about it nor call a council. He was a man. God changed him. Now God promises change to us individually And to us as a church, that Holy Spirit is inside of us, shedding abroad the love of God to our hearts, that God loves us, that we are His children. Thus we cry, Abba, Father. He increases the assurance of our faith. He increases our confidence of eternal life. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed my soul unto Him against that day. And so we grow in those graces of hope, and we abound in it by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has His own independent joy and peace, and He can fill you with the same. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Hurry up and help me finish. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. 
Ephesians 5.18 of Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The use of wine to an excess that results in drunkenness is wrong. That's why the word not is in there. Rather than abuse mood-altering chemicals like the world does to try to cope with their hopelessness and their lack of joy and peace, we should be full of the Holy Ghost. Because be, but be filled with the Spirit. And I taught you about this recently of communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get down on your knees and you tell the God of heaven and you tell the Lord Jesus Christ that you have not delighted in Him as you should have and you have not been as fascinated with Him as you once were, He will come to you and fill you. You can ask Him to fill you. We have songs in our hymn book that actually ask that question and ask the Lord to do it. Fill me now. Fill me. This is an imperative command. This is something that you control. This is something you can do. God's already given you His Spirit, but to be filled with Him is to come clean. Excess of wine is so foolish. The Holy Spirit has no such excess. You can have as much as you want and do as much as you want. Do you know the words against such? There is no law about the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Saul of Kish was so changed. John the Baptist leaped for joy at the presence of Jesus Christ. And how old was he? Do we have any children in here thinking that I'm preaching to the adults? Bethany, do you think I'm only preaching to your parents? Thank you. John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. Because he was filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Oh, thank you, Lord. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Oh, when the Holy Ghost is inside of us, freed up because we're delighting in Christ. The Holy Spirit's ministry is not to testify of himself, like the charismatics practice. The Holy Spirit is to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we're delighting in Christ, the more love, joy, peace, hope fills the soul. The power of the Holy Ghost is greater than any spiritual weakness of yours or any wicked spirit that would ever afflict you. You know, sometimes when a mood comes on a person, it feels overwhelmingly powerful. But that is wrong. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God in you is greater than the spirit of the devil outside of you. The Spirit of God that is in you is greater than your little dinky spirit. You just are full of bad habits because you've given leave and you've given a door of opening and you've given leverage to those moods. I know all about those moods. You know, all we have to do is do something by faith. We feel the mood, so we're living by feelings. Instead, we go to our prayer chair or we go to the Word of God or we go to a sermon or we go to a song And we come out of that mood by the power of the Holy Ghost. The progress and success of any church depends on the formula of this verse against any of the foolish differences that arise because of matters of Christian liberty. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope with the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a benediction, that's a blessing from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome and to our church. Let's fulfill it. Let's do the believing part and God will do the other part. Amen.